0: I have with us t- tonight uh, a return guest, and this is Joe. Joe, uh, you might remember from previous podcast, He makes uh, really cool knives out of uh, old uh, trap springs, and he has. He's also a, a retired RCMP officer, and he has a kind of a, a, a bug that he wants to, to address, and it's got to do with the Mad Trapper and uh, the Mad Trapper of Rat River. Everybody's heard the story. And he's about to debunk a whole bunch of, of, of what we know and what we don't know. Let's uh, get right into it. How are you, Joe? Uh,
1: not too bad, Rich. Not too bad. I uh, got my uh, coyote snaring sites uh, baited and just set snares. So tomorrow is the first check day. So.
0: Oh wow. Course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I uh, I haven't set up I haven't set a snare on a coyote bait yet. I I, I mean I've got lots and lots of bait out. Uh, and then it got warm and yeah. then it snowed and then and then then the snow melted and it's like pfft. i'm i'm doing really good on on the martin fisher line
1: <laughs> yeah yeah I saw, I saw your your pictures there you're uh, you're hitting them pretty good
0: yeah yeah so lots of fisher again this year strange everybody always says that if you trap your fisher hard that that you know you'll get the population to control well i have trapped on a, and a, this is my 7th year on that trap line I have trapped the same um, number of, of boxes and traps, the same amount of effort every year. And your numbers go up and down or whatever. But now they're, once again, they're skyrocketing again. So it's kind of showing that I have very little influence on, on those population le- levels. There's, there's other things at work that I don't know. Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And we all have our idea of the perfect morning. You know what I'm talking about. For me, the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed, Old Smokes Coffee. Studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity. No kidding. Well, that's certainly no secret to me. I can barely talk before that first cup. <laughs> just ask Sandy. I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smokes Coffee's darkest roast, stout maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic, and smooth. Gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me. Old Smokes their Coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes more time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smokes makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH. That's R-I-C-H. And get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.olsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com and use the promo code RICH. That is promo code rich for ten percent off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. Well, let's get into Mad Trapper for lack of a not. not I don't know him by any any other word. Um, I've actually been on the Rat River. I've been on what was considered or the fellow that I was at said it was it, it was his old trap line. What is the story? Who is this guy? Where did he come from? And uh, and what what on earth went went sideways here?
1: Sure. Just one quick correction, uh, Rich, is I'm not retired RCMP. I'm retired uh, CBSA Immigration Enforcement, which specialized in fugitive uh, apprehensions.
0: So, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then you, you know the dirty, the, even the RCMP don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I worked I, I work with them constantly. Okay. And uh, uh, this, this case was uh, quite a success story for the RCMP uh back at that time. But it was also uh unusual for them in that um, they this was the first time in a in a in a fugitive case they used two completely new modern things at the time uh radio communication and aircraft
0: okay what date was this
1: we kind of start kick off here December 26 19 19- 1931 wow that is cool to to be
0: using airplanes and radios then
1: yeah and very very new very new um of course airplanes weren't completely new um but fairly new for civilian use and also not uh, extremely well developed in the north you know because of the issues of runways and extreme cold and that type of thing
0: okay who was the mad trapper? What, what was his actual name?
1: Okay, As far as we know, uh, he was Albert Johnson. The first time uh, Albert Johnson was, was really known to be around was around the summer of 1931. There was uh, a minister in around uh, Fort Mac, Fort McPherson. Uh, very much kept track of uh, all the comings and goings of all of the people and he was, he was very protective uh, of, of the native population. So he, he, anybody that seemed different or unusual, or even just somebody new, uh, if he knew about it, he made mention of it to uh, the RCMP. The first known uh, occurrence of him being around is is in in the summer of, of nineteen thirty-one. Preacher reported a new guy in town coming drifting up the river on a raft. Doesn't seem to have a whole lot in the way of the typical uh, supplies and, and outfit that a northerner would have. But one thing he does seem to have a lot of is cash money, which is unusual. So it's it's reported to to the RCMP, Constable Millen, July 1931, uh, approaches him and asks him his name, he gives his name as, as Albert Johnson, and uh, once again, you know, giving very, very little information. Um, and again, there's, there's, when you read the, all the different publications, Rich, it's, it's very hard to necessarily get a complete picture of what was said or what was done. Um, or what information he gave, but he gave very very minimal information, said that he'd spent some time on the prairies, um, and that he was going to trap in the vicinity of the Lat River.
0: So nobody knew where he came from. Pardon me? Nobody knew where he came from.
1: didn't say where he came from. He did not expand on it, except to the effect of he had spent some time on the prairies, and he was now up there, and he was going to trap in the vicinity of the Rat River.
0: Was he Canadian?
1: That is a long story. He didn't, he didn't indicate that at the time. He didn't <laughs> indicate whether he was Canadian or, or American. Um, except. And, and the other thing to realize, too, Rich, I guess we should kind of put this in context. At that point, um, probably to everyone's surprise, the far north was a fairly busy place uh, for what it was, because there were, there were, uh, there was almost no paying work, um, as of 1929 and into 1930. Um, one of the few ways that you could obtain funds or, or wealth, um, was either prospecting for gold or trapping.
0: Yeah. Trapping was big, like in the, uh, You know the the muskrat uh, uh, marshes and uh, up in uh, at Fort Chippewa and that, you know, guys could make thirty bucks a day, you know, catching yeah. muskrats, which you weren't making thirty bucks in a month in 1930.
1: You no, know what I mean? no, no, no. Uh, one of one of my uncles who's now deceased told me that uh, uh, when he was sent out from the farm to work, uh, he made a uh, doing farm labor. He made a buck and a quarter a day, yeah. which was which was huge then. Yeah. But uh, I'm just going just gonna to quote, um, and part of, the, part of my interest in this, Rich, is that um, I've been a long-time reader of the books by uh, the Karras brothers, uh, Art Karras, who wrote North Decree Lake, about oh, okay. his experiences trapping in the far north at the same time. There's another book, Child of the Wilderness, Gene Walters, who's from northern Alberta, Again, covering the same period of time, and then there's another one uh, north to Slave Lake. Ted Ted uh, Morton, again covering uh, the same time.
0: I've, I've read Gene's book.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna reference some things in Gene's book. Uh, quite frankly, that, that uh Jean's book is is part of. Kind of what, what got me reinterested in the Rat River Trapper story.
0: Okay. So nobody knows where he's come from, but he's gonna be there trapping. And
1: right. and and Constable Millen tells him if he's going to trap, he needs a license. And that's available either in Aklavik or at the RCMP detachment, although I believe it was called an outpost at the time, and it was called the Arctic, Arctic Red River Detachment, which was uh, some, distance, some distance away, I'm not sure exactly. About
0: halfway between, uh, between Fort McPherson and, and uh, in a, in a, uh, well, I don't even know it was in Inuvik around then? Maybe it was Aklavit just on the, because it, it's in the actual Mackenzie Delta. Right. Yeah, but and this well, is this, well, this is another cross.
1: More interesting, Rich, because you're familiar with some of the area that we're talking about.
0: Yes, yes. Yep. Okay.
1: So um that's that's the end uh, of the contact um with uh Albert Johnson. Um, he he does go to uh there is some record of him going to the, uh, the store, uh, I believe it was in, in Fort Mac. There was, I believe it was the Hudson Bay Company uh, post. I'm not sure uh, if it had a different name then. Um, and he buys, uh, the one thing that is, not, that is recorded, he buys a 16-gauge Ivor Johnson single-barrel shotgun. Okay. Uh, other than that, at that time, what other weapons he had is not recorded or or, or anything, really. Um, in some of the publications, there's some mention that he purchased a canoe at that time um, because supposedly he had floated in on a homemade raft because whatever he was on had capsized. Um, it's not really clear. the The, the story starts to become... Um, much more clear when there's there's the first complaint uh, to the RCMP.
0: Okay, so he left and, and headed for the Rat River. And-
1: As everyone believes, yep, there was no, there was there was nothing further, no further problems or news or anything about him. Constable Millen just did kind of a cursory check. Uh didn't see anything too unusual, told the guy he was going to trap, he needed a license, and that was the end of it.
0: Okay, he heads out to the Rat River, and then problems ensue?
1: Right. Um, right around Christmas time, um, the local uh, native uh, or First Nations people of, of that area um, complain to the Mounties that this guy is springing their traps, uh potentially stealing from their traps. Uh I've seen it written somewhere hanging their traps in trees, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's that's the complaint.
0: But he never he never bought any traps or anything like that.
1: There's no record whatsoever of him buying any traps uh or 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 really involving himself in trapping at all.
0: What was he doing? I mean was, was he actually I was he-
1: well some, some, of the, some of the different books that have been written over the decades, Rich, are, are a little on the, uh, on the critical side uh, of the RCMP as to why were um, they interested in him? Why did they seem to be, you know, there's some, of, some of the, the stories are rad, rather accusatory that the RCMP were really persecuting him. And really what they were doing is they were dumbfounded by the fact that he was not there to trap. He said that he was there to trap, but he bought no traps. He bought no outfit um, that one would typically uh, buy. Um, And then he was gone. So um, the first narrative we have is, is Saturday, December 26, 1931, Constable Edgar Millen, Alfred King, and Special Constable Joe Bernard head out to talk to this guy. From everything that I can tell, from everything that I've written, it's what we would call in modern law enforcement terms, uh, a knock and talk. You know, you've got a complaint. It's not a super serious complaint. There isn't necessary, necessarily plans for an arrest. Uh, you've got a complaint and you need to talk to the person to see what their side of the story is.
0: Okay, so they haven't had no contact with him to this point. They're just going out to knock on his door and say, you've been complained about, right. and try and mediate a solution or whatever.
1: Right. Yep. Okay. So they go out there. It's noted in every, in, every, in every different publication that I've read is they know that he's home, because there's smoke rising from the chimney. There are some of the different publications that I've read, some but not all, indicate there was a little window in the cabin, and when they, when they knocked on the door and announced who they were and they needed to speak to him, they saw him look out the window briefly. So looking out the window briefly is a little bit inconsistent, but what is consistent is they knew he was home, they could hear him moving around, uh, and there's smoke coming from the chimney. And he won't answer. So him not answering is, is also uh, a huge red flag, because at that time uh, in the north, um, there, was, uh, there was sort of a, um, a system, if you like to call it, that uh, the northern trappers and northern travelers always stopped in on each other whenever they were passing by. Um, and it was considered, you know, the height of rudeness not to come to the door and invite the people in.
0: Yeah, it would be odd. I mean, it's it'd still be odd in the north here. So, uh, in this yeah. day and age,
1: and again, when you read these other these other publications by by fellows that trapped at that same time, they they really articulate in detail that was that was the way of looking out for one another uh, in case somebody was sick, hurt. Running out of supplies, anything like that, um, and it also, it also was was very much uh, designed to prevent what has been pitched as a key element in the whole story of the River trapper, keep people from going a little stir crazy from being alone too long.
0: Well, that's just it. I mean, you might only see one person or right. two people in in for the vast part of the year. You know, other right. than than when when you went to town to to sell fur or provision or whatever. I mean, that's, that, that's just the way the life was. My grandpa had a, had a trap line here in the north, and uh, he would uh, leave uh, 1st of October, and it was 70 miles he went by foot. And he had to cross uh, uh, the Smoky River, and he had to cross uh, the Simonette, and he had to cross the, the, the Moose River. And he would come out at Christmas, and he'd come out with whatever fur he'd got on his back and by then he'd be on snowshoes wow. and then he would, then he would go back after Christmas and, you know, like the next day or whatever, he would, he would go back after having sold his fur and that, and he would come out, he'd have to come out the, in the spring uh, ahead of uh breakup so that he didn't have to try and, you know, build uh, or to try, try and cross those, those rivers and that when ice is uh, coming down it or when it's in spring flood. So yeah, it, uh, he, it was it was a, a different life than what we live today. Like <laughs> the, the communication was, you, you know, people talk about how sometimes it's it, they begin to wonder if if they can actually talk or not anymore. You know, and so so they sit there and they and they talk just to make noise in their in their cabin. You know, right. they prove that they can still talk.
1: <laughs> well, you know, on on that on that topic, Rich, one of the things that that um, has to be discussed is. Uh, part of the job of the mounted police at that time in the north was very much to look out for and or screen newcomers to the north. Yeah, because as you can imagine, with things just being in desperate circumstances down south, people would then hear of untold riches in gold and furs, et cetera, et cetera, and then come to the north in the summer months with plans for prospecting, trapping, et cetera, et cetera, and just be woefully ill-prepared to make it through the winter. And once again, when you read some of the other books by the old-timers that went north, um, when they would check on each other or when they would check on maybe somebody they didn't know, um, if that person needed to be taken out, uh, or, or taken to civilization, uh, quite often it fell on the mounties to do it.
0: Yeah, well, they, I, I remember my grandpa talking about uh, uh, Smoky um, Mike, and he he was a trapper and he lived he down on the Smoky River and he had a had a place there. Um, they had to do somehow. They in the middle of the winter, they the, the RCMP got the uh, word that he he was in in trouble or he'd been sick. have
1: mm-hmm.
0: been. Yeah, he, he, he'd he been sick anyway. So my grandpa goes with him because they didn't know how to how to find the cabin. My grandpa did. And that was like 35 miles one way on, on snowshoes. And I mean, it's not like there's roads you're snowshoeing on. You're, you're going through the woods, right? You think about that. Think about 35 miles one way going go through the woods, you know, and and, and finding your way and, and that kind of stuff. And I can hardly find my truck in the parking lot with my GPS on my hand. And, you know, they they go and find him. And what had happened is he, he uh, fell, broke his leg, and he, I'm not sure whether he was, he was actually had starved to death or if he was freezing to death, but he ended up shooting himself in, in his cabin, laying in, in, in his bunk bed. Wow. Yeah. Cause he, that's, that, that's where they found him. His leg was broken and, and like grandpa, grandpa said there there was no wood in the, in the cabin and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, you know? And back in those days, you know, Life was pretty tough, and yep. you, you burned a lot of wood every winter.
1: So so did, did word come out, perhaps, by somebody else that was close that hadn't seen him in a while? Or, or I'm or
0: trying that. to remember. There was something like that. It was like – then there was another guy, Cat Bradley, but I think Cat Bradley died of a, of a virus, but Grandpa went there too. And it's funny because they were both on the Smoky River. Cat Bradley was a remittance man, so uh, he was – he was uh, uh, an embarrassment to his family back in England, mm-hmm. and so they sent him to the colony, right? Yeah. And he would get so much money or whatever, and he um, uh, she did a dairy farm, if you can believe this, back then in, in – in the, this was a, would be in the 30s. He had a dairy farm. They, they cleared, I don't know, maybe 80 acres like along the river and, and that uh, uh, on the Smoky River, and he had this dairy farm, and he had a um, – like a, a steam paddle wheeler and he would go down to Byzantin I like which is where I get my mail but the old byzantine town site was on the Smoky River and he would uh, come down that river one, once a week with with milk and butter and that from his from his dairy cattle and pick up his remittance check and all that and go back and he had a had taken a um, First Nation lady as as his uh, his bride and back in those days that made was even more embarrassing for the, for the folks back in England and all, but he was by all means a very, uh, very well-to-do fella and, and uh, was doing very well. But he, I think they both died of some flu or some virus. Grandpa had to go in for that one too, but I don't remember, I don't remember him talking about, about his wife. I I remember Cap was, was, and he built like a two-story cabin. Like he had a two-story cabin and I was, it was fascinating, but I mean, and, tough 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 i look at those people and it's like oh my god they were tough (laughs) So,
1: so rich you you used an interesting term you're one of the few other people that i've that i've that i've ever heard use the term remittance man and understand what it means because i dealt with a number of those in my career you did you yes yes even even in the modern modern age yes yes because you, you i would be dealing with with Foreign nationals that were here, um, and 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 once once again the the it's because they're behaving oddly or doing something odd that usually would bring the uh, bring it to the attention of local police or some other form of government. And once again, it was almost always, what is this person doing here? You know yeah. and how on earth do they live? well um i'll say it before you do Uh, a remittance man or could be a remittance woman um is a person who uh comes from money or wealth but is an embarrassment to their family back home so they're sent abroad to some other country and the term remittance comes from the continual money that the, that the family back in the old country sent.
0: When we were talking in the Anglo sense of the word from England or Ireland or whatever, where and most of this is English, um, the remittance man was just about invariably was the eldest son, but he was an embarrassment and was not going to do a proper job of carrying on the, the, the family tradition and the, and the family, a business or whatever so that was the way they got rid of because normally everything goes to the eldest son and that was that was the way they got rid of that eldest son was they mm-hmm. shipped them off to the colonies which is what we were and and uh you know they sent him a a stipend every now and you know monthly or weekly whatever it was to keep keeping here right uh they're just hoping you know they're, they're they're pushing off their problem on somebody else and hoping that he died somewhere else but that way they it, and it, it was it was you know i mean they were their society was set up that this was quite acceptable that, you know, we didn't, I mean, hereditary law was everything, unless we could get rid of him, you know, he could take some money to go somewhere else, and then son number two or number three can, can take over, right? <laughs>
1: right. and, and, and Right, and, and especially, you know, in, in way back in time, um, when places like England, you know, had a very sort of staunch set of, of expectations and and societal rules Uh, the person that was shipped off as the remittance man sometimes was not all that bad the family just thought it was better that they were gone somewhere and we'll send money and and please go off to the colonies and do whatever you will there some some of them had it
0: like uh cat bradley had a problem with uh with the bottle yep and his the, the the stories of of when he'd go on a tear you know Mm-hmm. every week he'd be be in the summer and that he'd be down to, to Byzance and to, to drop off his milk uh, and cream and all that. And, you know, for the first little while, people would sell him booze and then he'd be going to tear for a week. And, and then of course his cows weren't being taken care of while, while he's down there drunk and everything. So he learned not to, not to give him, give him any, uh, or sell him any, any booze. But there was a lot of, of uh, like, uh, you know, unrequited love where they, you know, the, the, Trueborn heir uh, fell in love with the scullery maid. And of course she was beneath him that kind of thing. And, and, but he wouldn't, wouldn't uh, knuckle under to dad. And so off you go, you know, (laughs) they sent a lot of them here to Canada. They sent a bunch to India too, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. But the, the, uh, the, the, the the idea of of remittance of, uh, you know, there's, there's a number of different cultures uh, around the world too, that uh, today that have fairly, fairly strict, you know expectations um uh, of, of people and when the the folks aren't, aren't meeting those expectations yep. sometimes it's easier to just send them abroad and send them money and and hope that whatever they're doing uh can be you know better to embarrass themselves somewhere else
0: well yeah well then it doesn't get if it's in the colonies it doesn't ever get back right
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Back, back to your story we wandered down a, off on a tangent here yep.
1: okay uh, yeah and so we're touched on remittance man because we'll, we'll probably get back to this later when people are are desperately fishing out around for who on earth was uh, Albert Johnson but on the on the 26th of December they go to the cabin uh, knock on the door just for a chat um, it is reasonable to believe that there was not really any intention of anything more serious or they would have sent more people. Um, In fact, I believe the RCMP members expected to be uh, back home in time for big New Year's celebration. Okay. But Albert Johnson will not come to the door, uh, which is unheard of uh, at those times and will not communicate. So they head back and they, um, contact their inspector hey
0: folks rich from trapping Inc. tv here and we all have our idea of the perfect morning you know what i'm talking about for me the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed old smokes coffee studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity no kidding well that's certainly no secret to me i can barely talk before that first cup (laughs) just ask sandy I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smokes Coffee's darkest roast, stout maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic, and smooth. Gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me. Old Smokes roasts their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes more time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smokes makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know, the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine, and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH. That's R-I-C-H. And get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.olsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com. And use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. Yeah. I I find it um, intriguing that there were search warrants in 1931.
1: (laughs) 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 I think... I think we all thought they
0: just walked up and kicked the door in.
1: <laughs> well, the thing about that, the thing about that, and and, and those things did happen. Rich, the problem is uh, when those when, when that was done, um, and later on there was uh, somebody went to trial or somebody ended up dead, uh, then there would be questions asked as to you know, what exactly were you doing?
0: So they got their warrant and they headed back to go talk to him one way or the other.
1: December 30th, uh, the warrant is issued. Thursday, December 31st, 1931, uh, they arrived back at the cabin. Very important to mention this fellow's name, Special Constable Lazarus. He's he's a First Nations uh, tracker, scout, Special Constable with the RCMP. And he is with this, this situation the entire time. And, okay. Yeah. And uh, if there was ever anybody that should be glorified, um, you know, it's, it, it's a fellow like him. Anyway, so there's also Constable Robert McDowell, Constable King, Alfred King.
0: So there's three of them.
1: Yeah. Okay. So they knock on the door. I, I don't know exactly what words were said, but um, some sort of words to, to the effect that he, Alfred, or sorry, uh, Albert Johnson needed to come out. He needed, they needed to talk to him. Uh, they are answered, uh, whereby Albert Johnson shoots Constable King right through the door. Really? One shot with a 30 30 rifle, dead center, and Constable King crumpled. Did it kill him? Uh, it didn't. He goes down. And uh, the other two fellas open fire on the cabin. And Constable King uh, is able to crawl um, a short distance. They get him into the dog sled and head for help.
0: And, and how far, it was taking a day to travel, so what, what was, how far would they be, be traveling uh, back to Fort McPherson?
1: Here's the thing. Here's the thing. They could go back to Fort Mac, but here's the thing. There's no doctor and no hospital at Fort Mac. They've got to go to Aklavik, 120 kilometers away.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because when we came out of uh, Aklavik, uh, and we went south, and we probably went 65 miles south mm-hmm. out of a, uh and so we and we ended up like north north northwest of uh fort mcpherson and we were on the north end of uh of uh where you could cross over into the rat river we were actually the side of the mountains that we were on was actually like a high plateau okay. and it was just basically down into the rat river and the fellow said that uh we were actually uh, a little bit south of where The cabin was supposed to have been and and all that but uh, it's a very different country it's a very different country yes so they then turned and they headed north with with an injured man in the dog sled
1: yep yep and um uh, i can't remember the exact number of hours uh but uh uh, constable king was bleeding profusely shot right through the chest and uh, I believe this uh, story: uh, they ran some of the dogs right to death to, in order to get him uh, to uh, to medical attention. And um, this, uh, there was, uh, I think, I believe, Doctor Urquhart, is is uh, he he ends up saving a number of lives. And I believe he was uh, an old army surgeon. And um, he operates and and saves Constable King's life.
0: Travel up there is all on the delta, so it's all on ice. And you know when you drive from Inuvik to uh, Aklavik, you're on in this Mackenzie Delta, and it's about two and a half hours at at more than the speed limit, which is what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> in a truck on, on, on an ice road. But then when we, when we left there to go to the, to the trapline that you travel on, all, there's like, I mean, if you think of a root ball, uh, you know, like the roots on a tree and that, yeah, it, yeah. that's what that, that is like, there is just so many different rivers and, and channels and they only over, I don't know how wide it would be. Uh, it would be hundreds of kilometers wide. And then of course, hundreds of kilometers long. So even when, when we got to where we came off of, uh, off of what was still part of the delta, you know, we'd we'd come down sixty five miles from from uh, uh Klavik, and then we we got up uh, up on the bank away from the, the river and that in order to go over to uh, to where the trap line and that was. So they that's where what they would have been traveling on. They they'd have been on the on one of the, the tributaries or whatever in that in that delta, in that system, right?
1: Um, and, and, and so what you just described, Rich, is going to later on at the very end uh, play a critical part in, in how this ends. Now, um, do, those, do those waterway systems uh, tend a lot of times to uh, very uh, sort of uh, oxbow and circle almost back on themselves at times?
0: And you have islands and, and, you know, like, I mean, sometimes you think that you're, you're following a, an individual river and, and you're not, you know, because it's all part of this, this huge, vast network. Right. Um, same thing when, when you get up into the, up in the, the North, um, East corner of, of Alberta on, on the, uh, the Athabasca, same thing. You have, the, you know, you think that you're, this is a separate individual river, but then you come around a corner and then another, and another rivers come in, you've been just traveling for, you know, 30, 30 kilometers or three or four kilometers by a long worth of an Island. You know what I mean? And there are right. oxbows and there are turn turnoffs and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's very, very complex. Um, yeah. I had my GPS with me and it had just had a background map of the, of, of the world kind of thing. And, but even to look at it there, if if you want to if you want to get an idea, take and, and go on Google Map and uh, zoom into that area. You're going to be astounded at at how how large it is, how complex it is. Because you know you you always think about you know when we have a river here, when the Simonette runs into the smoke here or whatever, it just runs in, right? It might be mm-hmm. a might be an island or two there, but that, that that's it. This is a whole different thing.
1: Right. Well, I know exactly what you mean, Rich, because probably about. Oh, around 2000 I shot my first moose um, north of of just north of Pinehouse Lake uh, with my RCMP buddy on the Haltane River and the Holtane River um, crosses uh, the road or highway there and you can basically it's a great way to hunt moose because you can put in upstream and just float down the river uh, with the motor off completely quietly and off to the sides will be all of these swamps. And hopefully you'll float up um, on a moose, which is exactly what we did, Uh, which is great, except that on the map, it looks like there's maybe about eight kilometers between where the river uh, flows out and then crosses again. Um, But it twists back on itself. Uh, to such an extent, uh, it's more like 40 to 50 miles because it, it follows such a snaking route. And at times, as you're floating down, you can look back and see where you came from.
0: Yeah, yeah. And this, only this is, uh, this is just over a gigantic area. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to describe. You'd you have to, have to actually look at it on Google Map, but the, the Mackenzie Delta is something else. Mm-hmm. So they get the fella to a, a, a clavic. right? And the doctor keeps, saves his life.
1: The doctor saves his life. At some point uh, there's, there's a note in, in one of the publications that I have. Um, at one point as he's recovering, he's saying that, uh, he thinks there's something in the, in the, uh, a fold in the sheet or something that's poking him in the back and it was a spent bullet. Um, and. Don't know for certain if that's, if that's true. Um, however, Constable King, uh, did survive and he did recover. Okay, good. So, um, at this point, this has now become really serious. Now they've got to dispatch a big team of, of people. They, they called out for volunteers, trappers volunteered, Joe Verville, Carl Garland, John Moses. Uh, and then they and then they also tapped into uh the Royal Canadian Signal Corps, which is the Canadian military, were up there, and it was um Earl uh quartermaster Earl Her- Hersey and um R. F. Ridell, Frank Jackson, was now the trapper, and anyway, there's a number of different and of course these guys are selected partly for their knowledge um of the area.
0: Right. Okay. So they have, they have quite a, quite a crew then.
1: They do. They do. And, um, and once again, Lazarus, so they all head out, um, and they're going to deal with this guy. Um, and, um, aside from, and so there's, there's, I can't remember how many dog teams there are. Um, but everyone is obviously armed and they've also got some dynamite. They arrive there Saturday, January 9th, 1932. Um, so they go there and and also Inspector Ames is with them. They uh, surround the place, they order him to give himself up. Um, you, We have a warrant, you're, you're wanted for murder. As soon as um, the policemen and trapper volunteers and First Nations people come within range, Albert Johnson starts shooting from within, within within inside the cabin
0: so why was he wanted for murder?
1: Uh, was I guess should it should have be attempted murder
0: yeah okay
1: attempted okay. murder
0: okay uh, and he'd he'd stay there at the cabin all that he'd time
1: He'd there at the cabin and and everybody and there's there's always uh there's there's speculation and nobody's entirely sure uh why he would remain there um, when you'd think that all, virtually anybody would know <laughs> That they're coming back and it isn't going to be good. So he's he's shooting from uh, inside the cabin, from what appears to be uh, gun ports uh, at the base uh, of the cabin. And this this is a pit cabin, so there's there's a fair bit of the cabin There's only about four feet or thereabouts sticking up above the ground. Yeah, and there, and then there's a foot or more. Um, Uh, that's dug out inside. And and so we can talk about this now or later, but there's a a really huge deal made of this pit style cabin.
0: Okay. And what's that?
1: Well, uh, virtually almost every publication that uh, I read, especially way back. And I I should start from the beginning too, Rich. When I was young and I I told you my story last time when I started trapping when I was nine years old and I, I started catching muskrats and mink and I was so into trapping. And so then you look up in the public library uh, trapping, and what does it come to? The Mad Trapper of Rack River. Yep. And uh, so as a kid, it, this is not only fascinating, but it's it's a little bit horrific. I mean, the, the pictures of Albert Johnson uh, deceased are, are, are not pretty.
0: I know. <laughs> I, I know. If you ever drive the Dempster Highway... Mm-hmm. To Anuvik so uh, from from uh, uh, Whitehorse, uh, uh, um, you go back uh, to Dawson Dawson City, and uh, just before Dawson City, you're you taking your head north on on the Dempster Highway, and it goes to Anuvik And about halfway through there, there's a place called Porcupine uh, Plains, and no pardon, not Porcupine, Eagle Plains. Mm-hmm. And it's up, it's up really high. And then after that, you take and you drop down and then you're into the uh, Arctic Ocean uh, influence. And that's when, when the winds blow, it blows really bad down there. And that, that highway all gets closed all the time. But when you're there, there's a bar there and there's a hotel and cause lots of times the highway gets closed. That's where the gates are. So kind of a captive audience. They have the story on the walls. Mm-hmm. And they have a picture of him, you know several pictures of him propped up with the bullet holes in him, and now he 's obviously dead mm-hmm. and it's just, it 's just you know it, it's it 's crazy to 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 think about that happening and and it 's even for me, what makes it even stranger is that they had that that kind of technology that they could take pictures in that back then, and there right. in the north, you know it just right. seems kind of incongruent that 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 those that that went together but mm-hmm. Continue on with your story. I interrupted.
1: <laughs> well, there's there's a, there's a great deal, um, and this is kind of this is kind of why I'm interested in talking about this. Uh, there's uh, now this is this is not from the official RCMP notes or archives, or this is from uh, this is from the many different books and publications that were written in the past number of decades. A great deal is made. Out of his bunker-like pit cabin that must have been built uh, absolutely for this type of thing um, uh, to be able to, uh, you know, have a shootout and survive, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Well, uh, but they were they were really common, especially there. Because for one thing, I mean, it, 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 when you dug down into the ground, you know, that, 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 was, that was great insulation. Another thing was that meant, that meant
1: less trees that you needed to build walls, and there's not a lot of trees there. <laughs> the fascinating thing, though, Richard, I guess what I'm getting at is most of the world doesn't know that. Right. And even myself as a kid, reading this, growing up uh, at the farm, and I remember asking my dad and my uncles, and they just said, No. No, no sane person did that because on the prairies, or you know, in, in, in farming country, you either had trees and you built a log cabin, or you had, or you or you were in a place where they and they build, built the sod cabins, yep. uh, which they quickly got rid of as soon as they could get wood, but but, and it's partly because um, down here, um, everybody's keen on digging until they hit that gumbo about a foot down.
0: Yeah. Very different country there. I mean, it's either muskeg or it's rock.
1: Very different. And and the average person, Rich, I think is, is this is very important. Uh, when I re- read these, the different publications of the cross brothers and Morton and Gene Walters, and even your interview with, um, who was the older fellow that, that you did a, uh, a, uh, a, a podcast with Alan. Alan, Alan, yeah. Alan Purdy right they talk about their first either cabins or sometimes you can't even call them that they're no they're, they're just a shelter um anyway and so so the average person rich I don't think has any appreciation for the fact that where you might want to build your cabin there's going to be a dist- distinct lack of straight trees in order to build that cabin and I don't think, and as well, I guess, Rich, uh, um, I, I, I can just reference this. Part of what made kind of spurred my interest was about a decade, well, maybe not ten years ago, is I bought the book *Child of the Wilderness* by Gene Walters.
0: Right. Read? I've I've read that one. Yes.
1: Have you seen the picture on the front?
0: I've got it here somewhere. It's probably on my <laughs> shelf. <laughs> yes.
1: It's Gene Walters standing at the front door of a cabin, and guess what kind of cabin it is.
0: It'll be it'll be uh, dug in, yeah.
1: It's a pit cabin.
0: Yeah, D- because, actually, and, they called them dug. They the, the common term here was a dugout cabin.
1: Right, and, yeah. and, But it's it's one of those things that the average person, especially from southern from down here, um, digging, you know, you know, it's a really hard thing. But when you read these fellows, they explain why they did that. Well, in the right place in the far north, as you would know, it's just soft sand. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, and it's
0: insulative. Right. It's, it, and it's airtight. Like, I right. mean, I don't care how good you are chinking the logs yeah. in a cabin. There's still, breezes still get through. You, it, it is not near as, as, as good a wall as, as the, that dugout is. Plus the fact that if you can, if you can dig it down a couple feet, Right. And that's two less feet that you're gonna try and scrounge up logs for, and and exactly. I mean I've been up there, I've I've seen what there is for wood. You'd be hard put to you know like a a twelve by twelve cabin would be a major accomplishment.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and when you when you read these other publications, the guys talk about the 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 selection of their site um, where where they where they would build their cabin or build their shelter um and and again it was almost always uh at first a dugout cabin um yeah. and um and and the other thing is as well too when you when you read these stuff and, and you and you um and, and you truly understand the way things work um because early on there were no registered trap lines it was not always as as uh, as, as the old fellow you interviewed indicated, it was not always wise to spend a ton of time and effort on a cabin if you didn't know that you were going to be there for future seasons. Yeah. Why?
0: Okay. Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies because this community is subscriber exclusive three is no censored photos shadow banning and deplatforming as happens on Twitter and Facebook, trolls are non-existent. As not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping ink, YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet. Hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappingink.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all trapping ink content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappingink.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest, and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to Locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to Locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappingink.locals.com. Now back to the show.